pieces to edit from. Okay. And our thing looks perfectly happy on the recording, I think. I think it does. And that all seems perfect. All right. I'm going to unwrap a spare cough drop just in case I have a coffee fit. That sounds very wise. They make little crinkly noises. That sounds very wise. Okay, I'll put that right over here in the cough drop section. The cough drop section is very important. It is. I should get stock and Ricola. You should. Oh. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Welcome to the Book Evangelist podcast, here to spread the good news that books and reading will save us all. Lissa and Marion will be talking about what's up in their reading and writing lives, reviewing recent reads, urging each other onto writing triumph, and generally wallowing in the pleasure of hanging out with a friend who loves books. Join us, wallow with us. This is episode 13, in which we are discussing Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman. Hi, Lissa. Hi, Marion. <sighs> we made it back. A little bit of longer break than we anticipated. That is true. But that's okay. I checked on my phone and my library copy of this book returned in late February. Did it really? I yes. read it after you. Yeah. Did it? So it's no, very no. much more fresh in your mind, maybe. Well, I don't know. It might have been February when I read it, come to think of it. Hmm. I texted you a lot while I was reading it. So I could look back through our text stream and try to figure out when that was. But it's been a little while, and I am at home, as you are, and I don't have a physical copy of this book. So I've been trying to remember it. I don't have a physical copy either because I read an ebook, but I did take some screenshots. Although when I just looked back at my screenshots and I sent you some of them, they're mostly like, you know, the quotes I liked. So probably a lot of them will end up in the show notes more than anything. <laughs> probably. They um, were good. I read them when you sent them to me and I thought, oh, those are good quotes. Yeah, those were the parts that clearly I liked. Um, before we get started talking about the book, though, there's been some great book news coming out lately. Yep, it's award season! Oh, it's so exciting. That's right. So it's uh, So the Hugo Award nominations, the final list came out today, I think, this morning. And there were a couple books on the list that we have read, either together or individually. We have such good taste. Well, maybe I think you have such good taste, and then you tell me what to read, and then I read it. Um... You picked the Ten Thousand Doors of January. I did. I did pick the Ten Thousand Doors of Doors of January. Hugo Award nominated book. Yes, that's. She had a big year because I saw Alex Harrow's name on that list two times for a short story as well as the Ten Thousand Doors of January. So quite the debut year for Alex E. Harrow. Just kind of awesome. Yeah. Um, and City of the Middle of the Night by Charlie Jane Anders was on there. Yes. Um, and for me, that's where all of this sci-fi reading really started. And then everything kind of came from there for me. Um, you know, I've been thinking that a, a hundred billion years ago in my youth when I was a teenager, I think I read almost exclusively science fiction fantasy. I don't, yeah, like all of them. And then I didn't for a really long time. And I'm just coming back to it as well. And I'm just enjoying the heck out of it. It's just Terrific. I remember why it is that I like these kinds of books so much. So, yep. The City in the Middle of the Night. And then there's one that you read, but I have not read, which is Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. So good. I, mem- I remember you were uh, traveling through airports and a little alarmed by the cover of that book and and uh, what people might think about you. My or... kids kept complaining, too. Did they? Um, <laughs> yeah, because I read it over the course of several months because it... it changes and builds at the beginning and then it gets really intense and I read the last bit in a big chunk but um but like it's got necromancer violence on the front pretty clearly with like bones and blood and uh, you know the basics and then when you try to explain it to people you're like well there's this necromancer and then there's this like cavalier who's defending her with swords and wow and it's in space 
Wow. Yeah. And I'm there's sold. Okay. bone magic. And and then it gets really weird after that. <laughs> okay. Then it gets really weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have This Is How You Lose the Time War, which I'm just going to go ahead and declare the winner of the novella category. It better be. Oh I can't God. imagine anything beating it. It's been a thing. Oh, it's been such a thing. So, yes. And I personally was happy to see that Good Omens was nominated for Best Dramatic Presentation Long Form. Have you seen it? I have not. Have you ever read the book? I listened to half of the audiobook when our book club did it. Okay. I love the book, and I thought the uh, miniseries of it was fabulous. Good. Um, yeah. And what, the funny thing is, it's one of those that, you know, I read the book, and then you start getting stills coming out before the production hits Netflix is where it's on. And is it on Netflix or is it on Amazon oh. Prime? I don't know. Amazon Prime. Anyway, I started seeing stills coming out for it. And I was like, oh, I don't know that this looks like it looks in my head, but I was completely won over. And it's just, it was really lovely and has all the, the sweetness and good vibes of the original. Um, so I was pleased to see that. So there you go. So we are, we are, um, Seeing our our reading choices allotted by the, the, the powers that be, saying what good taste we have and how we're choosing so well, right? Yeah, Do I you think feel so. Validated. Yeah, my kids. When I read them the whole list, and um, they recognized all the books that I love on it because I've been carrying around print copies. So my kids like know what I've been reading for this, and um, both my kids were like, "Mom." I did not hear John Scalzi's name. Did they <laughs> skip him? How come we do not hear John Scalzi's name? I really, the one that's missing that I was surprised by is I thought for sure that Wanderers by Chuck Wendick would be on this list. Um, oh, yeah. And it's not. And I was surprised. So that's, yeah. Hmm. hmm. One, two. Are they... All the ones we named have female authors, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe it's maybe it's our time. Maybe. There you go. Maybe. So, back to good old Eleanor Oliphant, a yeah, book completely a completely unlike any of the books we just mentioned. Yes. <laughs> would you like to read the Goodreads write up of that, or would you like um, me to do so? I can do it. Okay. All right. No one's ever told Eleanor that life should be better than fine. Meet Eleanor Oliphant. She struggles with appropriate social skills and tends to say exactly what she's thinking. Nothing is missing in her carefully timetabled life of avoiding unnecessary human contact, where weekends are punctuated by frozen pizza, vodka, and phone chats with mummy. But everything changes when Eleanor meets Raymond, the bumbling and deeply unhygienic IT guy from her office. When she and Raymond together save Sammy, an elderly gentleman who has fallen, the three rescue one another from the lives of isolation that they had been living. Ultimately, it is Raymond's big heart that will help Eleanor find the way to repair her own profoundly damaged one. If she does, she'll learn that she too is capable of finding friendship and even love after all. Smart, warm, uplifting, Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine, is the story of an out-of-the-ordinary heroine whose deadpan weirdness and unconscious wit make for an irresistible journey. As she realizes, the only way to survive is to open your heart. So, what do you think about that write-up? This is my standard question. Is, is this the book you read, Lissa? Um, it's book I it's the book other people probably read but I brought my own experience to the book and did not read this book I well you always bring your own experience to it you know being in conversation with a book and I don't think it was the book that I read either it was um, a somewhat different book than I expected it to be like I said I, I had told you that I had a couple of confessions to make before we discuss this one was that this book was way outside my wheelhouse, and it's not something that I probably would have picked up without prodding. I don't read a lot of... 
I assumed that this was going to be a, a chick lit or women's lit, which it is, I guess. It is. Um, yeah. Story of the helpless, hapless 20 something to 30 something year old woman who finds that her uh, job, life and romantic existence are not all she hoped they would be, who runs off to the south of Italy and blah, blah, blah. Okay, that does standard. describe the genre. That's the genre. Okay, so that is what I expected it to be. And I have nothing against books like that, but they don't tend to hold my attention um, very well. So it's not something I would have picked up without the recommendation coming for it. Um, and I also wanted to confess, as I already have, that I finished it a little while ago. And so I needed a refresher course on... I had to stop and think about who the characters in the book are or what happened in this book to remind myself because I've read other things since then and, you know, I have a mind like a steel sieve. So. Um, so my confession is I thought, and I think I even said on the last podcast that one of our listeners uh, recommended this book to me. And now, like partway through the book, I was like, oh, maybe what he said was that I was not ready for this book yet and that yeah. this book was not Oops. yet for me. Yeah. And now I can't decide because I think <laughs> I really surprised myself by the end. And I think it was a book for me and I was ready for it. Yeah. But I think only I could have made that call. And any yeah. smart person who knows me well would have said, stay away from this stay book. From, I have told you before to stay away from certain books because right. I didn't think they were the right books for you. And I'll say I, I did not really enjoy the first half of this book. But it grew on me, and the second half was much better. It was a much better book fit for me than the first half was. And we'll talk about why uh, as we go along here. Um, but I did stop and try to refresh myself about who the characters are. And stop me if I get any of this wrong. I won't yep. know. I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> You're going to believe me, everything I say? So yes. apologies to... Uh, to um, the author and and the world if i get any of this wrong but you know we're just this is the vibe of it seat of the pants podcast in here that's right we have uh, eleanor oliphant the title character right and yes. this book is told a first person from her point of view she's a 30 year old accountant type at a business works for business does payroll and accounting and stuff she is an alcoholic uh, she's a very deeply damaged person, and she doesn't recognize any of this about herself. Uh, we have Raymond. He's the new IT guy who's just coming in line to work. We have Sammy, who is, as it said, I think this old guy that they he falls down and breaks his hip, I think. Or, and they bundle them off to the hospital. Uh, we have Bob, who is Eleanor, Eleanor's boss. We have Johnny Lomond, who is a singer with a band that Eleanor thinks that she is in love with and would like. She does a lot to try to attract his attention for their future glorious life together in which he will be her soulmate. Um, I listed Polly the houseplant on here as a character. Key was, character. <laughs> it was Eleanor's houseplant that she's had forever that she cares for Polly. Um, Laura? maybe who is sammy's daughter who's kind of a glitzy hairdresser you know has she's fancy, so fancy yeah. fancy dyed hair and always the tight clothes and she's kind of sexy yeah and she's making a play for raymond the it guy we have mummy who eleanor talks to on the phone on wednesday nights i think it is every wednesday we talk to mummy i think so um who is a snake um who Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we have, later in the book, Eleanor has a therapist, and I don't remember her name. Was her name Heather? Maybe? I don't remember either. I don't know. Uh, she's a Heather in my head, but I can't remember. So with the therapist uh, that Eleanor ends up going to, uh, we have various office workers who work with Eleanor, and then toward the end of the book, there is a cat, uh, because cats in books are very important, Lissa, and every book should have a cat. And, and the cat's name is Glenn, although it's a lady-type cat. So it's named after vodka. Which is, you know, solid. There you go. So that's my list of people that I remember being in this book. And I thought I did a pretty good job. <laughs> I think you did. 
read, read this a while ago. I'm like, what was that person's? I mean, in real life, I'm terrible with people's names. So this must be a fairly good book of its genre if I can remember that many characters. And it did a good job, I thought, in the book of of developing people through their relationships with others. Yeah. So that may have been why. I mean, I'm still impressed that you remembered all these different people. But <laughs> when I read your list, I can remember the ways that all these people interacted with each other and how they changed each other. And it, in terms of this interaction, there's a wide variety of ways that people do. Like there's uh, emails and text messages and uh, Eleanor stalking Johnny Loman's Twitter or standing yeah. outside his apartment door listening to him. So you do get to know people in lots of different ways. And f- for a book that largely is a workplace I don't want to call it a romance, but a workplace romance type of thing. Right. uh, In which a lot of scenes take place either at Eleanor's apartment or at work. There were a lot of different scenes in it, too. Um, uh, A scene at a funeral, a couple in in, um, nightclubs and department stores, which I actually did. Hospital. If if I enjoyed any of Eleanor, I enjoyed her in a department store quite a bit. Being thinking that Bobby Brown is a real person she's going to go talk to. Um, Awesome. So I liked that part. But uh, there you go. So my question was, was this the book we expected to read? And why or why not? Do you want to? Um, so I, in my day of like being a 30-year-old career person before I had kids, uh, really liked Chiclet, thought it was great, probably read a lot of the new Chiclet coming out for, I don't know, probably at least a five-year stretch. Um, and this didn't ever really feel like chiclet to me because it Eleanor is just so not a chiclet character um but it in a way to me it almost parodied that genre or or played with that genre with a a much more realistic character so I so I was comfortable with the ways it was bending the genre because that genre is comfortable to me um but Eleanor certainly did not fit that genre at all um, oh. I don't know if you can hear some some motor noise in the background, but if uh, you can if you can, I will advise the world that my office sits right over my garage, and my husband is putting his nineteen sixteen Model T in the garage, and it goes like that. So it's just a little ambiance. That's what that is. Um, but to look at this book, if you looked at the cover of the book, oh, definitely fun, lighthearted chiclet. Yes. Yeah, you think it's going to be a fun, lighthearted chiclet book of that genre because to look and it's a very pretty cover but if you look at the cover that's the feel that you get and then if you read the description you know it says uh smart funny or smart warm uplifting with deadpan weirdness unconscious wit and you think it's just going to be quirky uh, quirky yeah i think she's going to be quirky uh of the oh i can't i'm so bad like I can't neurodiversity or like, you know, you think you're going to get a quirky. Yeah. Yeah. Character like that. But it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. More, more lighthearted, a lighter book than it is. It's a pretty heavy book. It's a pretty heavy book. Yeah. So when I came into it and I was with my limited exposure to Chiclet and the cover that it has and it being advertised as funny. That's what I expected it to be. And it was completely different than that. And I looked at a lot of the reviews on Goodreads and a lot of people talked about how funny the book is. Um, but the first half of it, at least, I did not find funny. Maybe there's something wrong with me, but I just thought it was just sad. <laughs> the whole time I felt bad for her. And had a tough time connecting with her. In some ways, although I, I felt for her, I didn't feel with her, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And based on a write-up, I thought that Sammy, the old man, would have a bigger role in the plot line of the book. In some ways, I felt like he was a MacGuffin that's just there. Oh, very much, yeah. To throw Eleanor and Raymond together. Um, and I thought he would have a bigger role in the book, and he doesn't, because the write-up talks about how they save each other and... But the truth, he has a, a full, rich, lovely life full of people who adore him. Yeah. Uh, he's not a lonely half person, wounded, you know, 
incomplete person like other people in this book are. Yeah, no, I mean, they save him for like the 15 seconds it takes for them to call for help. Yeah, yeah which Eleanor <laughs> would prefer not to do anyway. Right. She's like, this is a personal problem of his. Right. It's all Raymond pushing that all the way. Um, I mean, so it gives Raymond a reason to continue to engage her. But why would he want to, Lissa? She's so great and weird. She is weird. So we and we love Raymond. Raymond is. Oh, yeah, I think we, we are Raymond. Grand, Raymond is. He's good people. We are crazy about Raymond. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, but but like I said, the, so the first half of the book, I know I texted you very crabbly several times because uh, I was really because of what I bring to the book was having a lot of trouble with her but the second half was much easier to read and I read the second half lickety split and it felt almost like two different books to me and the second half of it was enough to redeem the whole book for me um but if I had just picked it up and I wasn't you know assigned to read it for this podcast I would have put it down before I got there quite frankly so yeah I think I was really uncomfortable in the first half because it's told in the first person and me as a reader seeing how bad Eleanor's life really is, even really though she is. doesn't know it's yes. read. Yes, like how horrible it is. I was so uncomfortable for her. Right. Though, And then as she starts to gradually do small things and make small changes, like I was more engaged in cheering for her success, both for her changes to be positive ones, but for her to like survive them and embrace them and keep trying. Yes. I think I think I texted you at one point because there is there's a section in this that the beat wise I would call the montage section of this, which is where Eleanor is getting new clothes. Eleanor is having her nails done. Eleanor is getting a haircut. Um, Eleanor wears makeup because she has a scarred face. And just, I was like, please, Lisa, you have to promise me that this is not a Cinderella story where she's going to change her external appearance and this is going to make her okay in other people's eyes because that drives me nuts. <laughs> in books, I'm like, this is my basic problem with Greece, you know, and I'm notorious right. for just hating Greece because she changes herself for a man. I'm like, that, you know, love me who for who I am or get out of the way. So you had to reassure me that indeed it was not a book where Eleanor is going to take on the external trappings of desirability or or um, conventionality, and that's going to cure everything. So I was happy that that did not go down. But I was worried about it because there's a big montage section yeah, uh, where that's happening, which she thinks is working. I mean, yeah, and, and she's doing it for all the wrong reasons. Right. You know, to get the attentions of the singer. Um, yeah, I really liked the way that this ultimately played with those tropes of chiclet and played with those tropes of like romantic comedies. Um, and where most of them did not so much work for Eleanor. Um, in the same way, they don't really so much work for most normal people. Yeah. Um, normal meaning uh, not fictional. Yeah. Actual person, actual people. So, um, but if I'm going to go read The Princess Bride, I know that it's playing with the tropes of Save the Princess fantasy stories. And that's what makes it delightful to me because I come into it knowing what my ex- that my expectation matches the reality of the book. So marketing books wise if you give me this book that looks like it's going to be a light-hearted fun shopping book and you put a blurb on it that makes it sound like it's a you know office rom-com and it's in fact something completely different and maybe uh, more thoughtful or engaging or demanding of me as a reader than that how can you if you're marketing a book, set up the correct reader expectations while keeping the secrets of this book that that Eleanor isn't who she's pretending to be or... Yeah, I don't know. And is this for chiclet readers? Is it? I don't know. I mean, I... 
I kind of want to lean into it and say it is for chiclet women's fiction readers. Yeah. Because of its basic premise that like, no matter where you're starting from, there is somebody who will still love you as you and support you on your journey towards a healthier life and a more authentic you. And right? Like it's the trope. Maybe it is. It's certainly shelved there, I would think, in a bookstore. Um, and like maybe it's growing the genre, if that makes sense. We're moving away from. I mean, the big brouhaha we've had in the RWA in the past several months is a good example of this. Romance novels were something, and they have shifted into being something else. Um, more, in some ways, more um, niche, but also more diverse and more. They're demanding more realism in romance novels and recognition that the world is full of all different kinds of people and that not everybody, uh, every female character is going to be a dainty, uh, dimple-cheeked blonde and not every male hero type character is going to be a strapping Scotsman and not, not every book needs both a hero and a heroine, you know? Um, yeah. And that the ways they get together are going to be different. So maybe that's what this book is doing, is trying to push that expectation that um, choosing the right shoes and ending up with the boss is not the goal. But um, ending up with a, a more honest self is the goal. And I think for a lot of romance readers, which I mean, I generally would identify as a romance reader. Sure. Uh, I like a good romance. Like that idea of like the people getting to discover their more authentic self and be able to be their more authentic self is an underlying part of the story mm -hmm. or is the main story. Um, you know, especially in all those tropes where they are leaving a relationship or leaving a family where they weren't able to be themselves or where they weren't able to be more authentic. Um, I don't know. I really liked this book. Like I said, I ended up really liking this book. It just took me a long time to get there. Um, and I think a lot of that was my, my expectation, but I also felt like the way the book was presented in and of itself, and I walked into it blind, was setting me up to expect one thing. And then giving me something else. And I don't read a lot of like thriller thrillers, but like Gone Girl, you knew there was a twist, right? And people will say, oh, and then there's a fabulous twist. And maybe they needed to let us know that there's a twist here. Um, something different is going to go down so that you're, you walk in to it. So it's I risky. am conflicted because super, I would not have read this book if I knew what the twist was, right. I just wouldn't have. Right. Like, if I knew she was going to have a mom. <laughs> I mean, okay, I realize that everybody has a mom. But if I realized her mom was going to be any kind of character, maybe I wouldn't have read this book because I've been avoiding books like that for a while now. So, I so it was say really tricky for me to read this book and stay engaged with it and be okay with it and end up really enjoying it because it ended up being a book that, worked great for me but if i would have known more about it i wouldn't have touched it right and weirdly the other day i had posted something about different disney movies that i prefer over others uh and it said i like tangled and then afterwards i thought you know i wonder whether lissa will like tangled um the mother in tangled is like this she's very much like mummy in this book she's oh. a, a gaslighting uh thing she's like talking poor rapunzel down and telling her reality is not reality all the time, which makes her a fabulous evil person. Um, she's just dreadful. And, you know, you root for her demise all the way through. Uh, but you should be advised, Lisa, that that does exist in that movie. Um, yeah, those are the yeah, kind of warnings but, I like. Because <laughs> I yeah, like yeah, yeah. Beware! Yeah. She has this great song called M Mother Knows Best where she's telling you that, you know, she'd listen to everything that I'm telling you as opposed to what your head or your gut is telling you or reality is telling you. Um, and she's vile. Um, but the mummy in this book is, is like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, 
like I said, I felt like it's worth reading once I got to the second half. I will say that the big twists in it mostly did not surprise me. I'm, uh, I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty good at figuring out how books are going to go. If a book can really surprise me, I just love that. Uh, and I felt like I understood what the deal was here and where we were going and why things are. And I knew some of the big surprises were not surprises to me because I, I knew that, but I bet they surprised lots and lots of people um, because it's, it is well done. It's just that you should, you know, I saw what was coming down the line before the train arrived in the station. Uh, I like that. So I wanted to talk about Eleanor herself and she is, you know, the push of this book and yeah. the main character and she tells it to you and did you like her um i felt for her and i wished i could sometimes be as like quirkily unhinged and confident about that as she is that is the thing i admired about her um, her, she was portrayed really well as somebody who is not super bothered or inhibited by social conventions. I mean, to, to an extreme that is not really sustainable, but it was, I thought it was well done. Yeah. I there, yeah. I had, like I said, some big problems relating with Eleanor at the beginning of this book, and I didn't think it was funny at the very beginning, like at all, just sad because I could see the way that she was thinking and maybe that make it makes her very well written that I can see her delusions or whatever. Although there were a couple things that bothered me about Eleanor. Her, her last name is Oliphant, which to me was like a little ring, ding, 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 ring, ring the bell because it's a, Oliphant is an, is an archaic word for elephant as in the elephant in the room, the thing we don't talk about. Um, so clearly there's an elephant in the room all the way through this book, and Oliphant, she tells you that it was a name that she acquired at some point. Someone has given right. her this name, um, so that's not a secret. But I was like, clearly it's, that's that's why, is that everything about her is, is, a, is a construct instead of the truth of who she is. Um, but this, her, her quirkiness was really extreme. For example, she works with computers all day long. She's been to university. She has a university degree. She works at a computer all day doing accounting, but she goes to buy a computer and did not know the difference between a laptop and a desktop computer. And I felt that she should. She eventually, she doesn't know anything about cell phones to the extent of having to ask lots of questions before she buys a cell phone, but then she has no trouble setting it up whatsoever, which I'm like, ha! <laughs> setting up a cell phone is the worst thing in the world it's impossible uh, it's impossible but so some of her knowledge was up to the minute and some of it was trapped in early to mid 1970s land and uh i grew up overseas in britain and its ex-colonies and so i watched a lot of british television as a youngster and she reminded me a lot of the the a specific kind of female character you get in british sitcoms usually of that vintage kind of uptight and snobby she's really cutting she says vicious things to people although she doesn't recognize them as vicious things um right. but there was a particular uh, actress her name is penelope keith and she's a lovely lovely person and she played she was really great at playing that particular kind of character in um different series like the good life earth to the manor born probably which you have never seen i'm gonna assume i have not okay like the good life is about these people who decide to try um self-sustaining farming in their suburban house and yard and their next door neighbors are the the man characters ex boss slash co-worker and his wife who's played by penelope keith and she's just you know, she has her whole uh, Christmas delivered in a truck and it complains to the manager about everything and is throwing cocktail parties. And um, and to the manor born, she 
is the lady of the manor and her husband dies and she has to move into this cottage whereas this foreign-born millionaire buys the house and moves in. So she's kind of the, the holdout of old-fashioned British upper-crust reserve faced with changing modern times, forms, and mores, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I could see a 19... 19- 78 Penelope Keith playing the role of Eleanor Oliphant, no problem, or as if Eleanor was modeling herself on things she saw in British television reruns um, later on. If that makes sense. It does. It makes me think this is even better written because so if Eleanor is like modeling herself on what she thinks mommy would have wanted. Wanted. That's right. right. Then she's super trapped there. Right. And it, it's, um, it's judging it, against that over and over. And that would feel comfortable and right. Right. Like if we're saying that this genre has a history of make yourself over into the thing that's socially acceptable. Eleanor has made herself over into the thing that she thinks is socially acceptable, except it's from 30 or 40 years ago instead of now. Right. And probably wasn't all that socially acceptable, acceptable then. then. Yes. Yeah. So she, uh, poor Penelope Keith, she never played the, her character arc was always to grow to be a better person. But she was always the foil to how ridiculous she was um, compared to more modern people who are breaking down social barriers between the classes type thing. Um, there you go. You have to go look them all up on YouTube or something. Lisa, I will. And watch See if them it all. feels. <laughs> They're they're the, of that varietal of British television comedy of that vintage, and it can be a little bit cringeworthy uh, anymore, and also very funny on occasion. And uh, what a cool way, though, to think as writers about how to construct characters and find that inspiration by thinking about who they do want to be more like or who they might mm-hmm. admire and why, right. even if they don't realize that's who they're modeling themselves after or yeah. admiring and, and like, like what said, comes through. For all I know, uh, the author of this book, wasn't thinking that way that's just what i'm bringing to it as the reader and my own particular thing i'm like oh she's modeling herself on a a fantasy of what the particular kind of upper crust person was like in the past yeah for all i know um yes cool uh and i i fussed around a little bit about you know how you do little random things like she's very careful with money eleanor is and she never you can't squeeze a nickel out of her you know or I don't know, five pence, I guess I should say. Uh, <laughs> but I kept thinking she should have just like a, she talks about she has like a month of living expenses in a bank. I'm like, she should have way more than that because she is, she doesn't, she has not, she lives in a council flat. Did you understand what that was? Like, like subsidized housing? Yeah, like subsidized housing that the city of London is made up of different local councils and they have public housing that is, yeah, subsidized and Eleanor has been in foster care because of mummy and she as when she comes of age she gets this council flat and she moves in and it's filled with donated furnishings and she's never changed any of them in 10 years nothing uh, she has not bought any clothes in like 10 years nothing uh, she never takes taxis she never goes out she never goes on vacation she has very staid habits she should have a, like a boatload of money in the bank, I would think. She drinks so much vodka, though. I know. Well, I mean, golly. I, mean, I don't have a good like alcohol two liters, budget to understand. Yeah, but, like, two liters of vodka, of vodka once a week. You know, she goes home on Fridays and drinks two liters of vodka. So, but I don't know if it's good vodka or not. My own understanding of... That's true. Um, I don't know either. Vodka brands is... Maybe I need to do some research and find out, but... Still, if you knock off everything else, all the lunches out people go for and all the That's movies true. people see and all the, you know, pint of lager down the pub and so forth that all these people are doing in this book all the time. I don't know. I was like, well, I don't know about you, Eleanor. But she does say she it's a good thing she's so frugal because she couldn't afford rent in such a nice place if she wasn't. You know, she's got a council flat in a good part of the city that she approves of as opposed to bad part of the city she doesn't approve of so she's like unreliable as heck oh yeah she is yeah she, she just she's lying to not just you know i don't even know if it qualifies as lying to the reader because she believes it right so it's yeah I mean, she's lying to herself 
I mean, even like when she's with her therapist over and over, she butts up against like what the truth is and then she backs away from it. And you get to see like what that kind of therapy looks like live in those sessions because Eleanor's the narrator. It was really interesting. Yeah. I mean, and in some ways, like I said, that long first half that I didn't enjoy so much, I couldn't decide whether A, you really need it so you can see where she's coming from or B, I am what you call a discovery writer, okay? I have a, and you are too, it's okay to admit these things, um, where I have a character and an idea and a story and then I write it and it goes somewhere slightly different than I had intended it to go sometimes as I get to know my story better and figure out what story it is I'm telling. And I almost felt like this book felt like that to me. Like we started out saying, oh, we're going to subvert some conventions of the the um, chiclet genre and it ended up being something else because Eleanor's such a mess um, that she has to reach a point where she needs to make some changes um, and it's so the second half of the book is less snarky and more hopeful I guess to me um, so it felt more realistic to me in the second half and more genuinely relatable to me in the second half where she's struggling on the page as opposed to struggling off the page where we all know what trouble she's in the whole time and when she finally realizes what trouble she's in I felt that she was a more relatable more likable character I thought the whole thing was realistic because I felt like at the beginning, she didn't let herself veer off of any of those past or routines right. that she had so set, coping including her thinking or feeling. Right. So the part where we don't see her thinking or feeling was really realistic. And then I definitely felt she was more relatable later. Um, and I liked her a lot. Well, I mean, I liked her story a lot. Yeah. I'm not really yeah. sure I would like her. <laughs> yeah. But Eleanor is exhausting. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, her story is more, more relatable. Or I was rooting for her more in the second yes. half. I liked um, reading her story. Less impatient with her um, to get it on and figure it out and do stuff than I had been at the beginning of the book. Um, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah, and I'm not sure I ever really like her. Yeah, but we love Raymond. Oh, and, yeah, we love Raymond. And Glenn the cat. So, at least I love Glenn the cat because I'm a pro-cat in book person. So, from now on, we should only read books that have cats. Is that a thing? <laughs> I don't know. It could be a Are thing. Are there warnings for that? Like, <laughs> this book has a controlling mother and a cat. And a cat. You'll have to decide which prevails. <laughs> It'll be amazing. <laughs> okay, you have your next nano novel ready to go, right there. Oh. Bam! Hey, it's you know it's Camp Nanorama, Alyssa, and I know that uh, perhaps your progress has been as lame as my own has been. I it's I have started <laughs> three either. times, which means oh, I so have three sad. sentences. Most sad. I write a sentence and then I'm like, no. See, but here's your book, just tailor made for you, right here. Cat versus controlling oh. mother. Who shall Same. prevail? It's because a cat. Sure, of course, it's the cat cat has to win Obviously. people are not going to root for the controlling mother um, um so of my favorite quotes that i sent you which was your favorite Ooh, i'll have to stop and look at them here um you can tell me your favorite while i'm looking them up here and uh, you won't influence me i'm my own person i i trust that with my whole heart <laughs> um i think my favorite is the emily dickinson's reference yeah um the section I took the screenshot of says, Emily Dickinson's beautiful poem is called Wild Nights, Wild Nights, and combines two elements of which I am inordinately fond, punctuation and the theme of finding, at long last, a soulmate. Very good. Um, oh, they're so sad. All your quotes are so sad. 
Well, I uh, liked the sad parts. They helped me have my feelings. That's what books do. No feelings, not the feelings. I, okay, here, I do like this one. I put both hands on a table and leaned forward so that my face was very close to his. Raymond, I will purchase the drinks. It's important to me for reasons that I don't wish to articulate to you. He shrugged, then nodded, and I walked off toward the door. And the reason I'm picking that one is because I did enjoy very much throughout the book how extraordinarily clueless Eleanor is that everything she says to Raymond in some light could seem like a come on. Um, that she's, she keeps talking about a gentleman she's become interested in recently and he kind of will strangulate a little bit and because yeah. it's reading as if it is him and he's reading it as if it is him. In fact, it is uh, Johnny Lomond, the singer, the whole time. Um but she's so awkward, it could have been it him. It could have been him. Yeah, it absolutely could be him. So I did enjoy that that she would continue to say these things to him and, and make these changes to herself as if she were trying to um, draw Raymond's attention. And the whole time you're thinking, man, Raymond is the best thing that's ever going to happen to you. You better uh, cling to him like a limpet, you know, uh, if you can. But she's completely and totally clueless about this. And yeah. And the things that she's saying to him, she doesn't understand. So I enjoyed that those sorts of scenes throughout the book uh, because she would send him into quite a confusion about what in the world it is she's talking about and whether he's reading her correctly or not. So and it I had... had oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No. I'm just going to sit here and wait for you to talk. This I'm thinking talk and I'll anything. edit this part... <laughs> Um, what was I going to say? I don't know. Oh, I know. So it had like some good romantic parts, although they were like super Eleanor awkward still. Mm -hmm. But like as she's looking around and noticing other people's relationships, like, I don't know, you got to like, as the reader, you got to follow along with her and see what are the, what are the things that she is interested in and what are the things that she does think will be in her future, maybe healthy relationships and, um, you know, this, this plays nicely into my theory of Eleanor modeling herself on outmoded versions of who a proper British lady should be. Okay. If she, because her, her concept, her overt concept of what romance should be is with Johnny Lomond, who is going to be glamorous and sweep her off her feet and and whisk her away to a life of you know champagne and limousines and his rock star life and she's going to be his suitably glamorous rock and roll girlfriend as opposed to the things that she secretly longs for when she sees Sammy's life is a loving family who values you in connection with other people. And when she goes home with Raymond and meets his mother, she loves like the quiet domesticity of Raymond's life uh, and the normality of it is really what she's longing for as opposed to the thing that she's modeling, which is a 1970s Mills and Boone romance novel with Johnny Lomond. Yes, I hard second all of that. Okay. Good. Excellent. So maybe I'm having insights to this book. My goodness. Who would have who'd have thunk it? And the people who read this book get to see all of that from her instead of a twenty twenty Mills and Boone romance or unrealistic, you know, chiclet romance or like they get to see the real stuff too. Which is of, kind of great. Of, I guess of her cluelessness is kind of nice because so many people in so many books have themselves figured out so well. Yes. And she so much does not. Uh, so that that's the whole second part of this book is figuring out who you really are as a person and what it is you really want as a person was the part that really worked well for me. Uh, the, the leaving behind what other people think they want for you or what you think other people want you to be um, and dealing with, you know, well, who you really are and where you're really at and where you really want to be and how you're going to get there and stuff like that. And almost any reader, I will just generalize, 
is starting from a place slightly less traumatic than Eleanor's. Yes, with so any luck at all, good got, grief. Right? If, even <laughs> if you've got quite a lot of things to work through, um, like Eleanor probably had it worse than you. Probably has it worse than you. So Right? We'll... But it gives you a lot of room to say, oh, well, that's not my life. But like you could go almost anywhere and still not be where she is. And be able to take a step. So, so you're like, saying that the hope is cool. if, if Eleanor can make progress, you can make progress. Yeah. Somewhat like a fake a fake quote from Mookie Wilson that you sent me once. Uh, yes. Yeah. Eleanor Oliphant absolutely believes in us. <laughs> and if For Eleanor sure. can believe in us, we can believe in us, Lissa. Yes. And then we break out. Okay. We always so, break out. So, it's a, so I had noticed in the Goodreads commentaries, because I like to read them after I read a book and see what people are thinking. Yeah. There was some discussion of the end of this book and whether or not the end of this book is a happy ending or not. And that really surprised me in Goodreads a lot because I feel it does have a happy ending, or at least a hopeful ending. Um, now I don't remember the ending. Doesn't it all work uh, out fine? Oh, should, well, should I tell you? Yeah. Okay, well, spoiler alert, folks. Um, as you will remember, Lissa, Mummy... I should remember. ...does not exist, Right. Oh, yeah. And died when Eleanor was, what, 10 or whatever. And she, in a house fire that mummy set and that nearly killed Eleanor and scarred her and that killed Eleanor's little sister that she has blanked from her memory altogether because she can't handle her inability to save that person, I guess, or her tremendous loss of the little sister and blaming herself for things like that and making this whole persona. But so at the end, she is reading the articles telling her the truth about who her mother was, as opposed to the fake mummy in her head who, who, who calls her inside her imagination and berates her and talks her down and gaslights her. Um, and Raymond is, turns out, not going to be with Laura, the daughter of Sammy, the glamorous hairdresser. Um, but instead is, is interested in Eleanor and Eleanor can see that finally that she and Raymond have a chance at a life together. And she is moving forward really well in her therapy and making strides there. And uh, she's given up drinking and she has a cat and Polly, the houseplant does die. I should let people know the Polly, the houseplant doesn't make it biggest death in the book. Um, but I felt that it was hopeful because we're, we're not, in a finished place, but we're never in a finished place. You know, nobody's ever in a finished place, but she's on a, a good pathway with more, more clarity and more hope and a really much brighter future in front of her. Although, you know, not the future she thought the glamorous life of Johnny Loman, but he's come to a bad end too. So that's good. Um, so I felt that that was a really hopeful ending, but a lot of people I looked at felt like it wasn't wrapped up with bows the way like they, they wanted it to. a wedding? Yeah. They wanted they wanted an, an, an H-E-A, as they say, but instead of a I happy like for now. But I was an H-E-A. Yeah, me too. But not a traditional one of we got married, bought a house, and had a baby. You know? Well, dude, I did that. <laughs> I, I did that. I bought several houses and more than one baby. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, but the traditional at the end of uh, I'm trying to remember what the mother of all chiclet novels is that one where Renee Zellweger was in the movies. Bridget Jones. Bridget Diary. Jones Diary. She does marry the glamorous boss at the end of the series, doesn't she? But I haven't not read at them. The end of the series. Not in the series. Well, hmm. but it's a series, and then later bad stuff happens to her. Okay. I didn't read that one. I don't read them. Like, I haven't read them all. I didn't need to I read it before I, bad stuff I happened. might have read Bridget Jones a billion years ago. But anyway, but like the, the concept is that, that you do get, and that's one of the playing with conventions is that, you, you know, she, in her head you do get Johnny Loman, and maybe that was what people wanted, although he's a total jerk the whole time. My God. Surely just, they didn't want that. I so think awful. they just wanted. wanted that. They want Raymond. But you, she doesn't really have Raymond at the end. She's just sort of getting to a place where she's recognizing that they could be together, that he is interested in her and that she is in fact interested in him and that they are kind of 
working through some stuff to try to see how they're going to be together, you know? Um, yeah. But I thought it was lovely. And I thought it was lovely. Some people I mean, on the Goodreads a... felt like there was going to be a sequel about how Eleanor really burned the house down herself. I'm like, no, she did not burn the house what? down herself. I'm like, no, people, try again. <laughs> Read a little closer. It's so much her mother in whatever kind of bananagrams rage her mother's in to set fire to them oh. all. Yeah, but they felt like like Eleanor had set fire to the house to try to whack her mother and then her, and then her sister died as well or instead I think that must it, be like a suspense thriller reader who accidentally picked up this book because <laughs> that's be. a lot it's a very gone girl ending but I was like no 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 so mm-hmm. I felt like it had a happy enough ending yeah. a hopeful ending and that you know we picked Eleanor up partway through her life and left her partway through her life in a better spot yeah. so to me that's a happy ending and although the ending wasn't a surprise to me uh, because I understood from fairly early on that there was no mummy Right. Um, because if you're in prison for, for burning a house down and the terrible things she has done, they mm-hmm. don't let you call your daughter up. If they take your daughter away and put her in foster care uh, yep. and change her name, they do not you know, tell you where to find her so you can call her every Wednesday and berate her. Um, yep. So that was not a shocker to me. Um, but I, I liked the ending very much. I did so, too. And I felt better. And it had a good cathartic ending, I guess, in a way. So. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm wondering if in my head it's not a happily ever after because, like, I'm not ready for dating, but, like, Eleanor is. Eleanor is. There and you go. I was like, oh, yeah, Eleanor, way to go. Like, way to <laughs> take great strides. Yes. I'm like, awesome. just be smart enough to stick with this guy, Eleanor. And, and he is uh, remarkably uh, loyal. And right, but like I don't feel like she has to stick with him. No, even she doesn't. I really like she him. I feel like they could come out of it as good friends. You know, yeah. uh, if the romance thing doesn't work for them, I felt like the the he's her tribe from now on. You know, and yes. it's okay. She got a connection with more than one person in this book, um, and that's what she really wanted. Which makes wanted. it super way healthier than most romances. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, like I said, she ends up in a way healthier spot. So that's that's my. A big takeaway, would I have picked up this book on my own? No. Would I have put it down before getting to the great second half if I did not have to report back? Uh, yes, I would have put it down. Uh, am I glad I finished it and read it? Yes, I am. I ended up liking it way more than I thought that I would. Um, and the the payoff for me was enough. There I go. Me too. And you felt like you were, in the end ready for this book yeah surprisingly so excellent that's good what do you want to read and talk about next time well something i have personally been interested in is what i'm calling the rise of the novella that oh the novella as a form was a big thing in like the 19th century and some, you know, early 20th century books are pretty short. You look at Gatsby, for example, just 50,000 words. It would count as a novella or on the very cusp of being a novel anymore. But there is there came a point where novellas just weren't getting published anymore because the cost of production of them versus, you know, what you have to charge versus how many words the person gets for their trouble, yeah. I think came pretty close to killing off the novella. But there's been a real resurgence in it for one reason or another, whether that's imprints or the internet or who knows. Uh, but there have been just short, a really... Uh, short attention spans? Short attention spans, things I can read on my commute on the subway. Mm-hmm. Um, things, you know, uh, since it doesn't matter how long a book is anymore anyway, apparently. Yeah. But there's been a real resurgence in them and there's a couple of great ones out there. So I thought we could look at the rise of the novella and read two. One is All Systems Read. Uh, by Martha Wells, the first of the Murderbot Diaries novellas, of which there's four, which I've been pushing on you for a long time, and Upright Women Wanted by Sarah Gailey, who wrote um, Magic for Liars, which we enjoyed very much this last year, and is a queer librarian western. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. There's there's nothing there not to like. Um, So that's my theory. Want to go with that? Yes. Okay, yay! All right. So, thank you for listening to the Book Evangelist podcast. 
Please remember and to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And send us your comments and, of course, your book recommendations at thebookevangelists at gmail.com. That was lovely. Excellent. Nice to hear the human voice. Especially it yours. It is nice to hear the Especially human yours. voice. Especially yours. Especially yours. Especially yours. Very good. Um, I, I have read both of those. I have read All Systems Read, of course, but I'll reread it. And I have Upright Women Wanted here. Because Excellent. I have happily, a copy of Upright Women Wanted here also. Right before it was due, the library shut and you just got to keep all your books. So Exactly. Yay. Um, I mean, sad, but also. Sad, I but did, also I had the right books in stock. So I will uh, get on it and, and read that. And hopefully we can turn out another one of these tutti sweetie. Yes, that's perfect. Excellent. All right. I'm going to go so I can. Oh, I'm going to hit stop so that I don't forget to hit stop.